Tweeting Jesus all through this summer from the book of James and I'm going to be in chapter 2 today it's one of those days where you're likely leave here saying well why didn't he say this because I can't get it all said in 30 minutes there's just too much and I'm full of words up to here but we're going to deal with reality today we were on the sixth floor of the Hyatt Regency on the Riverwalk in San Antonio, thanks to David Pfeiffer. And uh, when we looked out, we saw this huge flag on top of a building with a gold and blue dome. And the children, I had seven grandchildren with me, 11 to 18 months, and they said, that's Snow White's palace. And I said, okay. And then there's a bigger building to the right of that, and it had a big gold top, and it was taller and had an enormous flag on it. That was Cinderella's castle. And we started today sort of with those two icons in the window. But one night, all the seven children ran to the window because there's a bridge that crosses the river right below the hotel, and here came a horse-drawn carriage toward the foot of Cinderella's castle. And it was lit up with white lights and shaped like a pumpkin. And somebody said, it's Cinderella. Cinderella's showing up at her castle. And then there was another horse-drawn carriage that came in. It was lit up in blue lights in a different shape. And somebody said, that's Elsa. That's, Prince, that's Queen Elsa. And so we had six different princesses that showed up through our window at these castles drawn by horse-drawn carriages. You've never seen so much excitement as those seven kids all lined up on the sofa looking for who would the next princess be and I was excited too Papa had a great time it was one of the highlights of the trip listen to him squeal as the princesses showed up in their imagination at the castle and the, and the palace today I want you to get excited not about fairy tales but about a reality that will change your life if you get hold of it. Will energize you. Will get you up in the morning. Will make life different and new and wonderful for you. It's a message about the whole truth. The whole gospel. Get it all. What God wants to speak to you to tell you, to communicate to you 
through his word. It's a wonderful truth. It's set in a setting of some rebuke. And when I think about that, I think, well, that's got to be appropriate because who's doing everything they ought to do? Well, all of us can feel guilty about something we're either committing or omitting, right? And James recognizes that. He says if you've broken the law at any single point, you've broken it all. You're a sinner. Paul would agree with that, right? So James, in the first part of this chapter, chapter 2, finds everybody as a lawbreaker. That's who we are. In chapter 4, he says, God gives more grace. Thank you, Lord. James knows about grace. He says, God resists the proud. He gives grace to the humble. We all need grace. We live in grace. We believe we are saved by grace through faith in the Lord Jesus. That not of ourselves, it's a gift of God, not of works, nothing we can boast about here. We believe in grace. We believe in the sovereignty of God. James says, has not God chosen the poor to be rich in faith? And he uses the same word that Jesus uses in John 15 when he says, you've not chosen me, but I've chosen you. So James believes in the sovereignty of God, in God's election in our salvation, in God's grace and the truth that all of us needed, that nobody's good enough for God outside of his grace, that we can't work hard enough or do enough to satisfy a perfect God. We all understand that. So we come to chapter 2, verse 14, ready to receive the truth James is ready to share. What good is it? He says in verse 14, what good is it, my brothers and sisters, if someone claims to have faith but has no deeds? Can such faith save them? Suppose a brother or a sister is without clothes and daily food. If one of you says to them, go in peace, keep warm and well fed, but does nothing about their physical needs, what good is it? In the same way, faith by itself, if not accompanied by action, is dead. But someone will say, you have faith, I have deeds. Show me your faith without deeds, and I will show you my faith by my deeds. You believe that there's one God? Good. Even the demons believe that and shudder. You foolish person. Do you want evidence that faith without deeds is useless? Was not our father Abraham considered righteous for what he did when he offered his son Isaac on the altar? You see that his faith and his actions were working together. And his faith was made complete by what he did. 
And the scripture was fulfilled that says, Abraham believed God, and it was credited to him as righteousness. And he was called God's friend. You see that a person is considered righteous by what they do and not by faith alone. In the same way, was not even Rahab, the prostitute, considered righteous for what she did when she gave lodging to the spies and sent them off in a different direction. As the body without the spirit is dead. So faith without deeds is dead. Physical needs are mentioned explicitly in this passage. The NIV translates necessities of the body as physical needs. I looked it up in the NIV. It's the only time in the Bible where physical needs, those two words, are put together in the NIV translation. Physical needs. Hungry, cold, those are the two James uses in the passage. Physical needs. Not a week goes by that someone doesn't say to me that physical needs are secondary to spiritual needs and that what people need most is to be saved. And that is true. Except if it's you, it doesn't feel that way. If it's your baby that's dying, it doesn't feel that way the truth is if it's a physical need that is desperate and the pain is great you can almost not think of anything else it so dominates your life It's easy when you have it all to relegate physical needs to the second, third, or fourth tier. But if you haven't got it, it's at the top. Now, James says that physical needs play a part in faith. He says, faith lives based on response to these physical needs. And that if somebody says, I believe, but then they dismiss those who are very present to them and have very evident needs, and they have the resources to help them, and they dismiss them. He says, what good is 
that. Faith ought to do good. Couldn't we agree? Not all faith is equal. You're going to have to be the judge of faith as you live out your life on this planet. There is some faith that motivates some people to do evil. They kidnap little schoolgirls and take them away from their parents and sell them to other people as wives. That's pure evil, all right? And that faith is not doing good. Not all faith is equal. Maybe you've been saying to yourself, it doesn't matter what you believe as long as you believe it. Wrong. James wouldn't agree with that. Not even about faith that calls itself Christian. Not all Christian faith, quotes, is equal. There's some faith that people claim to have who are Christian, and it doesn't do good. The trouble with this whole thing is that he's talking about sins of omission as well as sins of commission. And some of us feel, well, I'm pretty good about sins of commission. You know, we hadn't murdered anybody or stolen anything lately. And so on sins of commission, we feel all right. But, but James comes at us from sins of omission. You know, what about the orphan? What about the widow? What about the hungry? What about the cold? And Jesus does the same. He often talks about the sins of omission, things we ought to be doing and we're not doing them. And so we get into this passage where he's asking, what good is it? What good is it to have a faith that hasn't changed your attitude, perspective, and actions toward those evidently in need? And the answer is, it's not good at all. This faith is dead. I tried to think of another word that'd be worse than dead. And I just couldn't think of anything, you know? Faith without deeds is dead. (laughs) It's kind of a dead-end sort of word at the very bottom of bad stuff. When you're dead, it's over for you. You can dress it up. You can make it look pretty maybe. You can put cosmetics on it. But the truth of the matter, if your faith has no works, it's just plain old dead. And faith needs to live, brother. To do any good, to be any good, can dead faith save you? Somebody's going to argue and say, what good is it? My goodness, if it gets you to heaven eternally, it's got to be good, even if it hadn't changed what you do toward the hungry and the cold. Yeah, but James is saying that kind of faith can't do you good. It's empty. It's dead. The faith that God is generating in your heart. This following Jesus as Lord, this confessing that He is God, that you receiving Him into your life, 
necessarily changes your actions. Changes how you act in the world. Faith lives. Faith shows. I know some people who want to be secret believers. You know, I don't want anybody to know I'm a believer. I want to be a secret believer. But James is saying, faith shows. He's saying, show me. Show me, man. Show me that faith. There are some people who suppose that we're all gifted differently in the body. Some people do stuff, and some people just believe stuff. And I'm one of the guys that just believe stuff, you know. I, I believe the right stuff. I don't, I don't actually do stuff. I just believe it. As if faith in Jesus was your assent to a list of propositions. And you check them all off. You believe Jesus was God. You believe he died on the cross. And, and that's, your, that's your faith? And, and you're the one that just believes stuff. You don't actually do stuff. You can't pick and choose on this one. You know, someone will say, well, I have faith and you have deeds. And Pastor James will say, show me, show me. Show me this faith you got. Show me your faith. Without your deeds, show me your faith. Tried to think, how am I going to show Pastor James my faith without any works? No, what am I going to show him? Maybe I could take a picture of me praying on my knees by the bed. I could slip that Polaroid or maybe send him a digital and say, hey, Pastor, here's a picture of my faith with me not, you know, without deeds, but here's a picture of my faith. No, that wouldn't satisfy James. See, James is keyed in on this work you do of loving your neighbor, like Taylor preached last Sunday. The royal law is love your neighbor if you really do it. Hey, that's great. Love does no harm to its neighbor. Love does good. I tell you, when I thought it through, I couldn't think of a way to show my faith without deeds. And James says, you show me your faith without deeds, I'll show you my faith by my deeds, by what I do. Now that, that makes sense to me. Do, do you get the same impression when you read this? Are you thinking, okay, yeah, that'd be pretty hard, showing my faith without any deeds. But showing my faith by what I do, that makes sense. And you do it every single day. You show what you believe by what you do. And if what you do does not conform to the lordship of Jesus Christ, probably your faith doesn't conform to the Lord Jesus Christ. You see? See, faith lives. It's not dead. And faith shows. It shows up in a world that needs to see it. I had an executive in our Baptist work tell me one time, he said, I think the great commission is for the church and the great commandment is for the individual. In other words, the church 
has been the commission to go to the world with the gospel. The individual has been commanded to love his neighbor. Not the church, but the individual. When I heard it, I thought it sounded like something James might have said. I have faith. You have deeds. Anytime you start breaking your works out of your faith, you are doing the impossible. You can't do that. Your works are not an accessory that you may or may not buy depending on the dress. You might get the purse, but you might not. The dress looks good without the purse. But if you decide to get it, that's okay. It's up to you. Some people think that's what deeds are about in the Christian life. They're sort of like an accessory. Maybe you get the purse, maybe you don't. You get the dress, you still look good. Don't really need the purse, don't really need the shoes. James is saying that idea of how deeds connect in the Christian life and with faith, that idea is wrong. Faith without works is dead. Faith lives. Faith shows. It shows up. It shows its neighbor. It, it demonstrates itself. In fact, faith with works is the great apologetic of the gospel. It's what convinces the world more than anything else that what we say is true if we actually live it if we actually live it and if we don't it's heresy we live in heresy it's heterodoxy it is orthodox for you to believe that Jesus is Lord and to live your life out following that line so that your behavior conforms to that truth and it is heresy for you to say Jesus is Lord and your life not conform to that you're not going to convince anybody. You may be the greatest argument against the gospel the way that you live out there and say you're a believer in Jesus. In fact, if you're going to live out there in a way that dishonors God, please don't tell anybody that you're a Christian. I don't want them looking at you saying, if that's a Christian, I don't want to be one. It's not a matter of perfection. It's a matter of direction. It's, a, it's you as a lifestyle saying, God, let your love work out through me in practical deeds of kindness where I care about those around me and it is evident and it shows and therefore the gospel that I speak is authenticated by the deeds that I do. They got to be connected or something bad is wrong. Something's really, really broken. Faith without works is dead. Faith lives, faith shows, faith works. Have I told you about that little wooden box, two stories in the mountains of Papua New Guinea where I sat in the middle of the night with a little 12-volt bulb lighting the faces of two career missionaries who sat on the couch across from me 
and we had just finished a worship service with hundreds of people present in a village to which there are no roads among a people who never invented the wheel. But they trusted Jesus as Savior and they built a church there and the children sang for us. And the missionary asked me, what did you think? And I said it was wonderful. I thought those children singing for 20 minutes before the service was like being in heaven. And it was, though they weren't singing in English. It was wonderful. And I said, but I do worry about the children. You worry about the children? I worry about them. Their hair is already turning orange from malnutrition. Unless somebody intervenes in their life, they can expect to live 40 years and die. Their average lifespan is 40 years. Unless somebody gets them clean water and helps them understand how human waste pollutes the water that they drink, their children will continue to die of dysentery. She said to me, that little girl has trusted Jesus as Savior and she's going to heaven when she dies. What difference does it make if she dies when she's 40 or 80? Do we really believe this? That it doesn't make any difference? Do you really believe this? What if it's you? What if it's you? Then does it make a difference? What if it's your baby? And we know how to stop the dysentery. We can do it. But we're not going to do it. Because we got other things to do. We live in a world that already knows how the other half lives. One missionary of those two said, it's all right, we don't need to have to, we don't have to get them pure water, we don't have to get them education, we don't have to get a clinic here, it's okay. They're okay, they're going to heaven. But the other missionary said, no. Mm -mm. I know what you're talking about. I ran into a fellow I grew up with. And this missionary's name is John Cutts. From the time he was 18 months old, he lived in the mountains of Papua New Guinea. He's a missionary there today. He's an amazing man. He said, no, I know what you're talking about. I ran into one of my, my buddies from boyhood on a trail. I was running in the mountains. And we spoke and exchanged things. And then he said to me, I envy you. And John says, I've, I've chosen to live here in Papua just like he does. And he said, you envy me? And the man said, yeah, because you can get out. But I can't. 
people living in Guatemala, in one of the poorest countries in the world, people living in Honduras with the highest murder rate in the world, they have phones. They have TV. They know how the other half lives. That's why they're knocking at our doors and sending their minor children to this country because they've seen the banquet that we sit at every time we eat, and they know. And maybe there was a time when we could leave them in their ignorance and say, Jesus loves you, be fed, be clothed, and go on our way. But we can't do that anymore. The gospel's got to be clothed with the deeds of compassion or it will lose its credibility in this whole wide world. I'm telling you, it's not just a matter of words anymore. If it ever was, you think you got enough words for the world? You will run out of words one day. And if your actions have not followed your words, you will be judged a liar and a hypocrite. If we don't live this out in our generation, we will lose the gospel disconnected from what makes it live. It'll feel just as dead to the world we're trying to convince as it genuinely is because it never moved us to be the people of compassion and action that James says we must be if we have faith. Diane caught Aunt Shirley, 82 years old, but she was too heavy to hold, so she collapsed to the ground. She's the last living person of that generation. We were at the family reunion. She was telling me how sad it was. She started to cry. She said, I looked into Shirley's eyes and nobody was there. And she cried and she said, I thought it was over for Shirley. She would never be back. You know what that looks like? To look into somebody's eyes and see if they're there. I was beside my grandson's bedside for seven days in a medically induced coma, waiting for him to open his eyes to see if he was there. They couldn't find a heartbeat for 30 minutes. You know the story. I can't tell you what it felt like to have Graham open his eyes and realize he's with us. He's here. Just as the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without works is dead.
Faith glows. It's got a light in its eyes. It has an optimism about God's presence in the world that motivates action. Faith glows with the gospel. I think about this and say to myself, did you get it backwards, James? Should you be saying that works is the enlivening principle of faith and not vice versa? And for his point and his message, he got it right for himself and us. And I will tell you this, Nothing will so cement your commitment to Jesus Christ intellectually, emotionally, and spiritually as getting out there in the world and doing what you say you believe. Nothing will so make concrete for you your commitment to Christ as loving your neighbor as you love yourself. When action becomes your life in the world. You will be a person of deep conviction and your faith will live, it will show, it will work, it will glow. Let's bow together. Heavenly Father, God, we come to you as we always do with a sense of inadequacy knowing that we've never been and aren't now the, everything we ought to be. And so we're just resting in your grace today. Thank you for your grace that is greater than all our sin. Thank you that it's not up to us to save ourselves, that only you can do that, and you did that through your son Jesus and his death upon the cross. and. He finished it when he died there. Forgive us because we're so poor examples of what your Savior is to us. And God, we pray that you will start a fire in our heart to live out this faith we claim with a fervor that matches that of our Lord for us. Set the passion in us, God, to connect our faith with our deeds. As a church, God, give us, give us insight and understanding, energy, and hope not overwhelmed by all the need around us, but ready to meet the need that is next, next to us. Lord, have your way in us. We pray in Jesus' name.